Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Hey. Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh. Hey. Hey. It's the holiday season. It is. Podcast world, welcome to another edition of FNO InsureTech holiday season. Actually, yeah. we're just today- we're just outside the holidays. We're just post-holiday season, just by a, like days. Yeah. Right? We're actually pre, but we're post. If we're pre and this. post at the same time. Yeah, it's very complicated. It would take a scientist to explain it. <laughs> it would. Somebody smarter than us. Well, that, that's pretty much anybody that's ever been born. <laughs> that's why we have guests on, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why it's not you and I talking. That's oh. right. That's why the intro and the outro of the podcast are so short relative so to the short. podcast. Because yeah. nobody wants to hear us talk. They're not listening to us jibber-jabber. They don't want to hear about our holiday season or plans. No, they don't do no. that. We can't even tell people about our holiday season yet because it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened, even though you listener, it's post. It's a very, right. very confusing time. When you're listening to this, it will have happened. Mm -hmm. And it was maybe good or maybe bad. We don't know. So let's ask you this question. Is all yeah. your shopping done? Everything's done? You got everything? Yeah, my uh, I didn't do hardly any this year. My wife does such a great job of doing that. Ah, uh, she she takes it off your hands. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. Alicia, Al, uh, you guys have all your shopping done? Let's hear it. I only have one left to do. Ooh, is that mine? That's, that's not mine, is it? It is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I might get lost in the mail. Okay, <laughs> okay Al, what Walter? about you? Yes. <laughs> Just the a best. man of few words. <laughs> a man of few words. So he's all done. He said yes. He's all done. Good for good for him. The FNO InsureTech team is here again mm -hmm. with yet another episode because nary a Friday should go by mm -hmm. where you don't get to hear from us and the world of InsureTech that we cover. And we man. know of all the podcasts you listen to, of all of them, of any of them, this is your favorite. Of course, let's just, it is. let's just be honest. Of all genres, of all, of all whatever. Genres. That's right. This is this is it. That's right. True crime, false crime. Yeah. Sex, Travis, drugs, rock and roll. Travis and Jason Kelsey. We win. We win. Joe Rogaine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that was nice. Uh, I'm sure we're your favorite. Name. And so, in keeping with being your favorite podcast, yeah. Today. Today, we have a remarkably excellent episode. <laughs> really, I mean, I mean, yeah. we've had we've had a bunch of great episodes lately, but this one is right up there with the top. And yeah. we have a return guest, one of our favorites. Uh, we actually saw her. It's been so long since we've had her on. Uh, we didn't have video when we oh, first we had her That's on. That's the first time we got to see her. And today we got to see her. We have Martha Noteras, managing director at Brewer Lane Ventures. Big shot, big shot in the world. Yeah, big yeah. deal in the insurtech ecosystem world. She's huge. She's huge. huge. She and Martha, is a, a, a treat. Martha is so generous that every year she writes up a predictions for the next year in insurtech uh, missive. 
that she sends out on the wires Mm -hmm. and lots of people read. And she did that again this year, like she does every uh, last many years. And we reached out to her and we said, Martha, don't just write about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. There's a lot of information there. Get right. on there. Get on yeah. this podcast. You got to get on. Most most points had, had a paragraph or two. And on this podcast, she's going to go in deep and we're going to ask questions. What do you mean? Why is that one on there? What do you, what, what do you think about that? And she's going to deliver the answers. Whether obvious or not, I will guarantee you that each thing on her list, each item on her list is deeply insightful. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting if you agree or disagree and however you might feel, please let us know. Yeah. Because we're interested in what you think. Yeah. I think it'll be a great conversation. I think people are ready for it. Can I give them one little preview that they should watch for? Uh, you can do anything you okay. want to, Rob. Okay. This is your podcast. So so here's a little preview. <laughs> so what year is, what year are we in? <laughs> right. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Lee, what year are we in? This is 2023. This is 2023. 2023. Uh That's correct, Lee. Yeah. Yeah. I might. But you have to listen on the podcast. You have to listen carefully for what Lee refers to this year as. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and whenever you write us, let us know what word Rob makes up on the spot and thinks is super smart. I think... You should say brilliant word. It's a brilliant word. It was great. It came right off the top of my head. Yeah. You, the listener, you let us know when those those things come up. So without further ado, enough of this. You're you're not here to listen to us. You're here to hear what Martha has to say. And here it comes. Let's go to our interview with one of our favorites, Martha Noteras from Brewer Lane with the eight predictions for InsureTech 2024. Hey, everybody. We are here with an esteemed and special guest Returning who hasn't, guest. Been with, it hasn't been with us for a little while. No, because she's, she's been busy, I'm sure. Very but, but But back, this might be like the fourth time, I'm guessing, something like that. But just remember, Martha, on time five, you get the FNO InsureTech smoking jacket. That's right. <laughs> still, still on back order. So, yeah. You, when it comes I'll look in. forward to that. <laughs> as soon as it comes in, you're right there. Uh, if you do, if you come back one more time, so but close. you're getting so closer. Close. And we, uh, so if you haven't figured it out already, we have Martha Noteras with us again today. Thank you, Martha. Thank you for being here from Brewer Lane. Well, thanks a lot. I'm looking forward to talking about uh, predictions for 2024. That's a great that's, time to well, do it. It's, it's a funny thing. That's why we asked you to come. Because we know that you are now famous or infamous for your annual predictions, InsureTech predictions, and they're out. They are. Thank you for doing this. Tell us, before we dig into each of them, tell us quickly, what kind of response do you get from uh, the general public about your eight predictions for 2024? Well, I will say that there are always a couple of people who take it upon themselves to go line by line Mm -hmm. and either agree, disagree, or actually literally grade the predictions. Oh, wow. So uh, it's always good to have an interactive audience. I I would say a lot of people just uh, say, oh, the predictions are out. And uh, (laughs) let's see. Let's see what she says versus uh, anyone else. I, I tried to get a jump on it this year, 
by yeah. getting the projections out a little earlier so that I could, you know, take the high ground. <laughs> well, my question to you is, so the 2023 predictions, mm-hmm. is there a scorecard on those? Because now we can grade those. How did you do in 2023? Okay. Yeah, I have to admit, I used to uh, include that in the presentation. I did okay. I don't think I had anticipated that 2023 would be quite as slow a year for InsurTech as it ended up being. I think that's for sure. I I did see some progress on some of the specific items embedded was on last year, comes Mm -hmm. back again for this year. I didn't predict AI last year. So I I think uh, I probably, uh, uh, I I know I got a passing grade, but I'm not sure it was honors. Well, I'll take passing any day. Well, first of all, before we jump right in, because you say AI, of course, we have to start there and it's number one on your list. But let's start. Just give us a quick update on Brewer Lane. How's things going there? What's what's cooking? Things are going great at Brewer Lane. Uh, we are now investing out of Fund Two, which is a million dollar fund. We have our first several uh, investments in uh, that fund, and what's kind of exciting for us is that we were able to launch that fund right at the time when it feels like the insure tech market is opening back up again. So I think we've gotten in at some reasonable levels, but there is a growing excitement again around insure tech. And we're going to ride that wave hopefully not to the same heights of ridiculousness that that we've seen in the past. but really a lot of insure tech focus, especially on enabling incumbents, as well as several other right. uh, ECs. That's right. great. And it was only ridiculous if you were a buyer. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much seller. if you were a seller. It was, it was wonderful. <laughs> it was absolutely correct. Yeah, right? I think that New is absolutely true. Uh, uh-huh. I, I will say that... Uh, the one thing that uh, is difficult for entrepreneurs who got out over their skis in terms of valuations, it does make raising the next round difficult. And I think one of the things that we have seen is um, a real delineation uh, around the maturity and the resilience of some of these entrepreneurs who are ready to take their medicine take the mark that they need to, to take in order to move forward on a funded basis. And we've definitely seen sort of a, a split out in the market over that. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to let, uh, we're going to start the list. We have eight predictions, all of which eight. I'm sure are 100% accurate because because nothing ever changes in the world. Trend extension, as we know, is the most accurate form of prediction. And so yeah. we're going to start with the buzziest of the buzz, AI. The word of the year is AI. Martha, why is that number one? Well, I think absolutely. Uh, it is literally the word of the year for one of the dictionary companies called Collins. And I think the other thing that we've seen is that there has been such a both top-down and bottom-up enthusiasm around generative AI. So what you have seen is the C-suites of insurers 
really getting excited around generative AI. What does it mean? What are they missing? How will this change their worlds? I think that the people who are in the seats in the technology organizations, the underwriting organizations uh, and claims are not necessarily thinking every day at work about generative AI, but they're certainly going to their home office and going into chat GPT, playing with it and seeing what can be done. And I think that that really emboldens the whole conversation. What I actually see is that although the conversation starts at generative AI, what we're seeing being lifted up here is the AI that already existed before the launch of ChatGPT. Right, right. Natural language processing, computer vision, machine learning, but that's fantastic because that has been an area that I don't think has gotten anywhere near enough attention. And all of those technologies help drive better decision-making. And that's really what insurance is about. Yeah, and I also think AI is, is gonna be so important uh, and it will be so popular because people don't know what it's capable of until they get in there and start using it. So I, I get into chat GPT and I'm like, wow, I didn't know it could do this. How could I use this in insurance? How could I use this? In, and I think that you're absolutely right. It will be so important because people are going to read more books on it. They're going to watch more 60 minutes. They're going to watch more uh, episodes and, and listen to podcasts about it. I think it's just going to drive the the imagination into where can we take this? You think that might be true? I love your idea that uh, it takes uh, a machine generated gen AI <laughs> in order to drive imagination into insurance. <laughs> mm -hmm. Isn't that so true? Isn't yeah. that so true? Yeah. And I also like your point that you said about AI has been here. It's just that what ChatGPT did it put it on everybody's on on everybody's list. Right. Not an episode goes by that we're not talking with, particularly when we're talking with companies, right, with insurtechs, where they're not talking about their AI that they've been working on for many years. Oh yeah. Some, I mean, back we just had an episode the other day back to 2015. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it, it, yeah. It, the consciousness has risen. Is that fair? I think the consciousness has risen, and what is probably more important to insurtechs, the budgets have opened up. Yeah, and I that's think true. that that is the uh, enthusiasm from the top down has created that kind of flexibility for people to lean into. But I do think that uh, it is very much around the traditional AI that we're seeing more deals actually get signed. Mm. On the generative AI side, I would say I have seen a lot of pilots getting done, but the jury is still out about whether you can convert those into the next real ongoing um, uh, relationship. Do you worry or do you think about or encounter how the world, how the legal and regulatory world is going to either deal with or maybe slow down or dampen the use of AI? Has that crossed your office? Absolutely. I think that, do I worry about it slowing down AI or do I think that there's an opportunity for insurtechs to start uh, making sure that AI is 
uh, is acting within the guardrails that are yeah. being established. Because I think we've seen this from the NAIC. We've seen the states start to talk about or put in place regulations around AI. So I actually think that the insurance industry, because of its highly regulated status, is actually more alive to what needs to be put in place in order to make sure that the industry benefits from AI as opposed to getting damaged mm. by AI. So I yeah. think actually for once, the highly regulated nature of insurance, I believe will act in the benefit of the insure techs. I like that thought. I like that thought. As we say AI, you can't help but think about the data that drives it. It's nothing without the data. And moving on to, to your number two on the list, data finally gets the attention it deserves. It's about the data. But in the last paragraph of your, uh, the lessons of your paragraph, you use the word, no one is getting an A. What do you mean by that? Well, really, I think that there are two topics in which no one is getting an A for the way that they handle data. And the most obvious one for that is that the insurance industry has been around for hundreds of years, and many insurers have grown through acquisition. In right. addition, they create new products. But one of the things that you can automatically see is there are huge silos of data, and the walls between those silos have traditionally been impenetrable. So the right hand really doesn't know what the left hand is doing. There have been efforts, especially on the enterprise risk management front, to measure across all of those, but sure. there hasn't been a good way to extract that data and lens it in a way that you can really understand what's going on across the whole company. The second thing is, I think that insurance and financial services in general has been very lenient on data providers where they have taken, they have been willing to accept pretty low quality data. And I don't think that they're always getting the best inputs into their systems where they're trying to do risk analysis and you end up having a situation where your risk analysis is more sophisticated than the level of data can withstand. You might be making the best decision, but it turns out your data might be 60% accurate. Oh. How can you make a good decision on that? Yeah, I, I agree. Data is at the heart of everything. Now, what I do appreciate is I remember we talked, um, I have talked with many, many companies going back to 2014, 2015, and it was all about clean data. You got to make sure you get clean data. So I do feel as though it was always on the forefront of companies' minds that they had to have the right data and the clean data. Now it's just deciding, what am I going to predict with this model? Did I capture the right data? Did I capture it in the right format? Uh, I think that's still a question uh, to be had, but we're able to ask it questions and, and rely on most of the data that they have. And, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that, that the forethought was there for, for most people. One of the smartest people I know in the insurance thank you, Rob. world, who's not on this podcast right now. Oh, okay. Thank you. Lee. He's insulted all of us now. All, I, of, us, all of us are wow. insulted. Wow. I hope, I hope the editor gets a hold of that one. 
<laughs> All of us are insulted. Go ahead. Including Robert. myself. Yeah. He says, whoever owns the data wins. Mm-hmm. What's your comment on that? I think that's a good one. Yep. And I think that where you see it is, uh, and going back to Gen AI, um, I think that what you feed into this incredibly powerful Gen AI and um, other types of AI is very important. And what you're going to end up seeing is specialized large language models coming out for insurers, coming out possibly even by product line or uh, in some very focused way. And I think that that's where you will start seeing differentiations uh, in terms of what that can fuel through accuracy and, uh, as you said, uh, cleanliness. And so one of the things you're seeing or that you're talking about here is the use of data across all the different functional areas of a carrier, right? So like if claim data is being generated on a claim to do with a particular risk or property, let's say, that that data finds its way to the right area so that it can help them make pricing decisions or whatever in, in a forward fashion, correct? Absolutely. And, and I think that part of that is building the right process, but also part of it is capturing the data and making sure the data knows where to go. I, I do agree with Lee. A lot of this is not a, a new topic, but I do think that uh, this is a time when there will be a new focus on data. Okay. Speaking of data, let's talk about brokers. <laughs> smooth <laughs> transition. Okay. So, so, so number three, number three is embracing brokers. And I want to know why you put it on here because like when we started the podcast, which was 2018, brokers were still quote unquote nervous. InsureTechs were still trying to didn't thought that that was something that could be totally disrupted. Lo and behold, the brokers won, as you say in your in your prediction. The brokers won. So why is it here today? I mean, this is isn't this a battle that's been fought and won? Yes, I, I would say the battle cry, sort of harking back to uh, Shakespeare and his lawyers, but the battle cry of InsureTech 1.0 was first kill all the brokers. And what we're seeing now is, and the reason that they're on the list is because today what InsureTechs are saying is, is there a way we can make this broker a better broker? Because what they're finding is as a category, brokers are going to stay. A lot of brokers are also getting rolled up, which means you have private equity investors making decisions, which tends to focus on efficiency. So where are the efficiencies? And if you think about where, where brokers operate, it, it's such a huge scale of a tiny agency all the way up to you know the top five or six. And at every single level, there are inefficiencies, some of which come back to that data topic, but many of which also come back to something else we've generally referred to, which is around interoperability of the systems that they have. Mm -hmm. So that maybe mm -hmm. you have an AMS, maybe it's not the best AMS, but you don't have the will to change it. 
how do you as a broker get better leverage out of the data that you have in there? Because your goal in life is to sell more insurance. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing is that more and more insurtechs are starting to think about this. And there are two kinds of entrepreneurs who seem like they focused on this. One of them is people who come from the brokerage world. They're tired of it. They know the pain of not having the best data. And the other kind is people who have been in various insure techs themselves and have tried to either replace the brokers uh, and therefore have a greater level of respect for the job that they do, or who have been selling through those brokers and therefore have a sense for the power that the broker has. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the idea is, how do we increase that power now? Right, right. The brokers, I mean, the brokers where the money kind of starts to flow, right? I mean, there's money there. There's There is money there, although that's an interesting point, Rob, because there's money there, but brokers don't spend a heck of a lot on technology. Tech, right. So right. you have to figure out how to deliver tech in an efficient way that uh, that drives very evident value because they just don't have a lot of patience. Well, with that, with that, you do talk about on your list, number four, technology innovation. You talk about the market has moved beyond innovation for the sake of innovation. And then you say there's a lot of appetite for APIs with very little rip and replace product projects. What, what, what are you telling us there? What do you mean there? So I think that in the same way that we were going to kill all the brokers, we were also going to start from ground zero and build up new systems and new processes in InsureTech 1.0. And I think what we found out was that, in fact, some of the systems work. There are very large capital flows going through the systems. So right. there's a high degree of risk. So it's easy to say incumbents are being are, are slow to make decisions um, and they don't want to change. But if you turn that around and you say incumbents are protecting their own companies by not making sudden movements that could expose the company to undue risk, then you say, okay, how can insurtechs deliver into these companies in a way that recognizes a high return on investment and very little internal work? And those are the kinds of insurtechs that we're seeing today where I think investors are just getting very excited about that. Give us a little more on that. Is that what you mean about the appetite for APIs is grown? Well, part of it is the appetite for APIs in terms of uh, to the extent that what the insurtech can deliver is an API which sits at the edge or in between two entities who are trying to make a transaction but does not penetrate either of those entities. Mm. That's really easy to say yes to. And I think that that's part of what insurtechs are looking for today is how do we get to yes faster because we can't burn money today. Time is money absolutely for a startup. And we need both to get to revenue faster, but we also need to get to proof of product market fit faster. 
And I think that that's why you see a more a lighter touch in terms of integration. So we we work in the claims business, the claims end of things. And and I've said for a long time to, to my teams that if you walk in and you say, we're going to have to mess with your workflow, the conversation's over. Right. The, it's too big of a lift, right? I mean, unless the potential ROI is so substantial, but it's usually not that way. And, and to get somebody excited about, okay, all you have to do is deconstruct everything that you have built and then rebuild it. And no, no. no. So I, I love that, that you're seeing that, that they're, that up front, before they even go to market, they're thinking, is this something that's easy to plug and play? Exactly. I, I think that, that uh, I think people, the workflow has a purpose and it's just not the best way in. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the other thing that, that is a really interesting point is, you know, the macroeconomics of the insurtech world have changed a lot in the last few years. And so now you're saying that what you're seeing, like I'm sure in your companies and others that you look at, is more uh, discipline. What's what's the right word I'm looking for? More more financial attention. I, I think it's actually. I, I do think it's discipline. Um, I think part of it is the strong. Uh, it's not just a question that investors are sending the message that it's no longer all about top line growth. We are looking to be able to get to a profitable growth over time. I think that the entrepreneurs are very well aware that if you have money in the bank, well, and even that was an exposure this year, but we won't go there. Right. Um, but if, <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you have money on your balance sheet, you, you need to commit to, to making that last as long as possible. And you also need to be honest with yourself. Are you at an inflection point or are you still experimenting? And if you are still experimenting, I think one of the things we've seen is a lot more discipline around how many... Uh, how many horses you put into the race at the same time that people are no longer saying, I have, I have a, five great ideas. And now perhaps they're saying, I have two ideas that are worthy of implementing right now. After I put those out, I test them. I have others lined up behind them instead mm-hmm. of running those all at the same time, which does cause some organizational inefficiency. And that's harder to do when you're going for the kind of lean staffing that you you are looking at right now. Now, the good news is lean staffing is almost always what makes better companies. And in fact, I think it is well established that scarcity is actually something that drives innovation. So mm-hmm. in fact, one of the things that we're seeing is that the insurtechs and I'm not saying this is a happy time and it's it's been easy. I, I, that is not true. I right. think the insurtechs that get through here are, are, are building into stronger companies. Mm-hmm. Because, the, yeah, because they made it through the lean times. Because the they hard have times. difficult decisions. And right. when, when you know that money is essentially free and on tap as you need it, you don't have to make the hard decisions. And right. who prefers to make hard decisions? Mm-hmm. Not me. I, I, I hardly make any decisions, so let alone hard ones. Okay, so number five, 
is not shocking. I'm, 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 and that's kind of my question. Embedded everywhere, all at once. But I do think it's interesting. We have brokers on there, right? Yeah, and we have embedded. Yeah, right. Yeah, not not necessarily with a broker. So yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. And I think that uh, you know it it, it is uh, interesting in some ways. I would say that that reflects um, a broader sense in the market in society where the idea is people should be able to consume how they want to. Right. And I think that that's what you're really seeing with embedded that at the moment that I am making some kind of related decisions. And I've seen, I, I am starting to see this, not just on the consumer side, but also we're starting to see this on at least the small commercial side. Oh yeah. There are, Decisions you're making where insurance might be applicable and you can press the button and say yes. And so there, I think that it's almost uh, closer to uh, the old Coca-Cola that uh, you would be able to get. uh, It would always be within the arm's length of desire. And uh, that's the way that insurance, uh, embedded insurance is working now, except that maybe people we're not planning to reach for the insurance and rather the insurance is be the outstretched hand is actually coming from the other process or the other website uh-huh. to point out that insurance would be a good match for this transaction. Uh-huh. Well, I, yeah, I do think embedded should absolutely be on here. I think 2003 was a year where embedded was a buzzword. 23. I find, yeah. 2023. I think 2024 will be, uh, the year where we see more of it implemented. In fact, several of our podcasts over the past few months, companies who used to go direct to consumer back in the day, they're now going through brokers or they're working on embedded path and just having it be there. So I think it absolutely deserves a place on the list. And, and I guess the other thing, Lee, is that as you think about brokers and embedded, it's just channels. Just it, channels. It's just channels. Channels. Again, it is... How does the buyer want to consume? Through what channel do they want to consume? Which is so funny because uh, 2017, InsureTech showed up and they said, oh, we're going to tell you, you, insurers only want it direct to a consumer. You want to buy it online, period. And then they realized, oh, no, it's kind of complicated. You want to, you want it maybe some other way. And they're saying, oh, well, here, we'll give it to you a couple of different ways. We can, you know, embed it through a broker. You can call your agent, whatever you want. Martha, can you share with us off the top of your head an embedded play that you, that you think is really interesting or terrific? Well, I would say that one of the things I think is particularly interesting is uh, some of the uh, SMB uh, embedded uh, situations where there are either uh, transactions that you're entering into. And one of the things we see is a trading transaction where uh, an SMB could be offered a buy now, pay later solution and or uh, some kind of insurance transaction for that uh, for that uh, individual um, event that they are that they're booking. I think the other thing that I've seen that was uh, on the consumer uh, side, sort of B to B to C, was a company that was uh, doing um, 
boat rental insurance, which oh, yeah. is a natural place to have uh, insurance. And once you say that out loud, I mean, can you afford from your vacation budget to pay for that, uh, you know, um, uh, that- Both, uh, both it's at the bottom it, of the lake. <laughs> if, it, if it capsizes, uh -huh. exactly. Uh, uh -huh. So I think that those, some of those things where there's a very strong trigger and a real need is perceived. But of course, as an insurer, what you're always looking for is the opportunities where the perceived need is actually much more aggressive than the actual need. And I think that probably that kind of boat thing reflects um, on that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that's the beauty of Embedded is that is that it's there. It's there. It's something that you need, right? It's easy to grab. It, it's good for you. You don't even have to think about it. It's also interesting what we're seeing with Embedded as a great example is the greater insurancification. That's a word, by the way. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh -huh. Trademarked. Don't look Trademark. it up. <laughs> Word put, it in put it in chat GPT and let's see what happens. The insurancification <laughs> of all things. Right. And because, I mean, we used to think, well, you insure your house and you insure your car and you insure your life and you insure your health. And that's about it. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is there's many places like boat rental is a great example where it's really a very helpful thing. It's not a pushy or long shot thing. It's you it, didn't use to insure your dog. Right. That's true. You didn't Pet use health. to insure yeah. your dog. Great one. Only mm. for your health insurance. I don't think there's life insurance on dogs yet. I don't think there is. Although there, maybe Stay there's tuned. theft insurance. There might be theft insurance on uh, French bulldogs. Oh, they are very popular right now. Yeah. Uh, what do you What do you think about life insurance for dogs? That that would be some interesting underwriting. Well, actually, it's funny you mention that because, in fact, there um there is new technology which is a shot for larger dogs that is supposed to double their lifetime, their lifespan. Oh man! Large dogs have not lived as long as small dogs, and right. uh, look it up. Uh, but there is uh, there's definitely veterinary science that has moved along to allow That's us interesting. to keep Labradors in our lives for longer. I love my big dog. I want him to live longer as long as his hips and everything else keep up with with his age. But yeah, I like that. See, I wish you had bought that pet insurance now. I know. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Should have bought that. Well, so so we talked about one that was on the list uh, embedded. I think 2003 was a year of embedded. 2004 was a year of embedded. Lee, 2023 was 20 2023 years ago. 2023 was a year. At least I'm not making up words. 2023 <laughs> was a year of embedded. 2024 was number six on your list, climate. I think every conference I went to in 2023, we talked about climate and extreme insurance and extreme weather. This year is no different. I think I'm going to make a projection, a, a prediction on your prediction list. This will also be on your list in 2024, predicting for the next year. Talk about climate. Why is climate on here? Okay, I will come clean and say climate has been on my list since at least 2018. Had to have been. Had to have been. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, that's... That's but kind of low-hanging low fruit there, Martha. Well, it, it's low-hanging fruit in terms of identifying the problem. One of the things that's exciting for me is I would say this past quarter, 
I have started seeing some novel solutions to climate that I mm. haven't seen before. So a lot of the climate Parametric. insurance situations that I have seen have been cherry picking. Yeah. So I have better geospatial information so I can decide where I should insure. Now, that that is a very acceptable way to make a living as an insurance company, although it may be difficult to do at scale. But now, because extreme climate doesn't just ex exist in one place, but really we're seeing it everywhere, you start cherry picking and even where the homeowners insurers are right now, backing out of California, backing out of Texas, backing out of Florida, you've cut, cut off over half the population right. of the United States. Right. You just shrunk your own market. They, they don't want to do that. They want to have products that they can sell out there. And so I, I think that one of the things that I've, I've seen that is interesting to me has been... Uh, someone who's come up with a concept of how do I ensure aggregate attritional loss? This isn't catastrophic loss. This is just regular insurance losses, which includes convective storms, which are thunderstorms for the rest of us, by the way. Yeah. But the idea is that we now are in a situation where attritional loss across the industry is at the same scale that catastrophic loss is. We hadn't seen that before. No, you're right. So I think that that is a new topic that's being covered. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, concern around coastal um, exposure. Are there ways to ensure that those properties more efficiently. And then, of course, wildfire is huge. And there are a couple of insurtechs that are going after wildfire. There's a lot of data and analytics around wildfire. All of the big insurance companies have their own data and analytics. But one of the things is that we are now seeing wildfire in places we didn't used to see it. Right. And I was speaking with uh, a climatologist yesterday, and one of the things he was saying was that the big problem in California is things grow so quickly that you have wildfire year after year, or at least every two years, in the mm -hmm. same places. Right. Whereas when you are in a colder state, you have a wildfire, you're not going to have another wildfire for another 20 years. Yeah. The problem is that insurance, as it is structured now, can't absorb those huge um, those huge gaps. So I really do think that there's some new thinking. But what's exciting is just what you said, Lee, when you said that more people are thinking about climate. And so mm -hmm. I, I think we're going to see some some more innovative solutions. What I want to see is the data and analytics solutions that drive other people to put their capacity on the line. I think that data is a big part of what you're talking about here, right? I mean, these, of course, you have eight, eight topics, but they're so interrelated. Absolutely, Rob, and better data. But, I mean, because there, there's an abundance of data, aggregating it, properly analyzing it. I, I think that the progress that's been made there is substantial. Mm -hmm. And will continue to be, right? And, and I think one of the ways that that data exists going all the way back to your uh, AI topic, uh, is that you're getting better data that can be interpreted more granularly through AI. 
So it's better imaging, which is uh, collected through technology, and then it's, it, it's also prepared. Uh, and patterns can be identified that maybe we don't recognize, but uh, can be recognized by more sophisticated technology. Let's talk about one of the one on the list that I found super interesting, right? And that's quality, not quantity. Now, you wouldn't know it by the title, so help us what you're after here. Yeah, so well, I, I think that one of the things I was reflecting as I um, prepared this list was that when I came in to starting to invest in InsureTech in 2015, I think between 2015 and 2016, something like 2,000 InsureTechs were launched. And we have not seen 2,000 InsureTechs uh, launched, and we won't see that in 2024. But one of the things that we are seeing, which is actually the topic of this uh, prediction, is people who have been in InsureTech are saying, so I was doing one thing in an InsureTech, and during that time, I created a thesis around a problem in insurance. So now we not only have people from the insurance industry who bring the knowledge, but we are getting repeat founders or uh, people who become founders after being early employees. And they're bringing a level of insight that we haven't had in the market before. So I think that that is actually a really exciting time where we're going to see an acceleration of solutions where you have people who are used to moving agile, but also have insight into the industry and have connections in the industry. Whereas what we were seeing several years ago was if you had entrepreneurial zeal, it was very unlikely that you also knew the right people to go talk to at the insurance companies. Critical, critical point. You're talking about cutting substantial time off of the process if you're if you're starting from zero, which mo which most 1.0, many 1.0 companies knew nobody. And they also didn't hire from the insurance industry. They hired from the technology industry, much to their demise. <laughs> no, but, I, I think that balance, I think early on it was all technology all the time. Mm -hmm. I think the companies that have prospered are the ones who understood the balance. I think the other thing is, even as we talk about the insure techs, uh, the repeat founders having more experience, they are also benefiting from the increased experience with innovation that the insurance companies are seeing yeah. so that they are no longer yeah. necessarily saying, oh, wow, this is a whole new thing that's interesting. Tell me more. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Instead, you're talking to the business head who is saying, I have a problem. Can you solve my problem? Then I will keep talking to you. If yeah. you can't solve my problem, that's a piece of information for the startup but you don't get caught in that loop of, gosh, this is interesting. Everyone's moving towards solution now. Great point. On the, on the carrier side, you're seeing these maturing or mature or organizations, innovation organizations inside of the companies, inside of the carriers who know how to receive the information, mm -hmm. who you're coming to them with a solution. You might not be the first time they've heard about that 
or that they're they've that they've even identified um, internally as as a problem. So so the the recipient of the potential buyer is more mature today than they were three or four years ago. Absolutely, and and often the buyer, I think you see that the business unit heads are more proactive in looking for what the right solution is and including insurtechs on that list. I, right. That was not true five, eight years ago. And so circle back to, can you pick up the phone, which we were joking about before we started today. Can you pick up the phone or better yet, can you text a potential consumer of your product and say, hey, it's me, right? Big advantage over, Absolutely. you've never heard of me or met me, can we talk about your problems? A whole different dynamic. I think it's so interesting. A lot of times I, I look at InsureTech and I think, oh, we had InsureTech 1, we have InsureTech 2, 2.5. We had InsureTech 2003. 2003, we had all that. But you're talking almost like a second generation coming out of a startup, coming out of an InsureTech, founding a new one with all the knowledge you have, knowing all the problems, and all the good, and creating new. I think that's that's really interesting. And in addition to that is kind of about your your number eight point here, uh, where you talk about InsureTech plus incumbent uh, delivering innovation at scale. In this one, you talk about mergers and acquisitions, of not just InsureTech to InsureTech, which is extremely important and, and happening every day, but you also talk about the incumbents coming in. Tell us a little bit about this eighth point that you have. Absolutely. And I think there are a couple of things. Uh, one of them is that incumbents know insurtechs now. If you're mm. at a big incumbent, there are insure there are insurtechs you've been doing business with for multiple years. You're supplying paper to them. You are fronting for them. Uh, they are providing you with uh, technology services. They're, you, so you know each other. So right. I think there's that level of trust so you, in some ways, uh, can dare to imagine what would it mean for this InsurTech to come in to my organization, and how could I make my incumbent organization better by having the resources and having the approach and technology that this InsurTech already has? We just saw that with BetterView as a perfect Absolutely. example, being acquired by a company that they've been associated with for years. Absolutely. Yeah. Or Travelers and uh, Corvus is another oh, example absolutely. on that front. And one of the things that you see there is also that you should have a situation where one plus one is more than two because Travelers already has its own activities. Presumably, they can now use the InsurTech's technology and spread that over a broader part of their own business, uh, driving a better portfolio. So I, I think that there are absolutely ways to drive the novelty and insight that the insurtechs are bringing and adding those together with the volume of business that the incumbents already have. And I think there are two other reasons that incumbents may be thinking much more seriously about M&A right now, one of those is their own budgets. So the discussion that the build or buy discussion, maybe the dynamics have changed mm -hmm. if 
the edict from on high is we're not adding staff to your technology budget. Well, you know, as an incumbent, I I got stuff I got to keep running, right? Much less building new. So maybe it makes more sense for me to buy, right? And I think the other thing is that having come down off the valuations that we saw in twenty one incumbents can now afford to go shopping. Mm -hmm. They're yeah, not yeah. embarrassed in to walk into the boardroom and yeah. say, I want to pay X. Yeah. Right. Uh, they might they might have budget in their CVC. That too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally true. Yeah. The uh fascinating that's that's uh that's it's that's a very exciting thing. I agree. That's, that's action, right? That's and action. It's almost in, full circle. In, in it's almost like once the incumbents start coming in and, and buying the insurtechs, I mean, that's, that's where most of them started out and kind of wanted to happen anyways. The exciting thing there is you have an end for some of those insurtech stories, which clears the field for some new insurtechs to come in to right. solve new problems. Second right, generation. Right. And some of those will go, you know, look, there, there's always a small number that will go on to IPO. But I think that one of the things that we're looking at, we think about now is how do you invest with a level of discipline so that the outcomes that are most likely are also good for the entrepreneurs? Mm -hmm. Oh, and the VCs. And, and the VCs. Uh, of, well, we can't forget we, the VCs. We can't move them out of the ecosystem. Now can we? Okay, two last questions, not on the list. Okay. So you talked a lot about InsureTech 1.0. I've heard different 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. What, what in, in the Martha Nuteris view, where are we? 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 7.0, 2003. 2003 was a very good year. <laughs> I would say we're somewhere between 2.5 and 3. I, I think that uh, 3.0 is really going to be as we see more of the maturing and the success of, of artificial intelligence. I think that's what's going to take us there. And, and we're getting close. But I think that when we get to a point where insurtechs are delivering AI products at scale, which make significant upticks for their clients, I think that's when I, I, will, I will consider that insurtech 3.0. But go. on the doorstep. Yes. It's knocking. Okay. All right. And the last question is, you know, when this whole thing, not when it got started, but but early on, earlier on, there was a lot of direct con to consumer. And we talked about brokers earlier and that there was direct to consumer plays that were saying, we don't, why, why do you need, you don't need a broker, just come straight to us, blah, blah, blah. Is direct to consumer dead? Is it, is it passe? I mean, there are a few that have succeeded, right? But, but in general, it, it's been a tough road. What, what's your it thought has. there? And I think that uh, the problem with uh, literally direct con to consumer is that the pipes that control consumers are expensive. So that the cost of acquisition is so high that you really need to be in an environment where capital is freely available and cheap in order to be able to get anywhere close to scale. To scale. 
So I think that the the direct to consumer uh, that I have seen, uh, and I do know some companies who have gotten to profit with this approach, is people who have been able to develop some kind of organic stream of consumers that are cheap or free. So you're not going to Google to buy your consumers. And even working through some of the channels where people get consumers, you have to give them something. So I think that the the people who can build organic will make a difference. I think B2B2C will still continue. And in some ways, there is an argument that says embedded is uh, embedded insurance is taking a free ride on the cost of acquisition that the existing website is already paying. Right. right. It's bearing, right. Right. And if you're the existing website, you might look at the embedded link that you have on there as part of the uh, mitigating the cost. Offsetting. Absolutely. Totally agree. So Uh I think there's a symbiotic relationship there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that those are uh, relatively small use cases. And so I I, I do think that that those are much more difficult until we find some better way to access those consumers. Well, listen, what better way to start the year than picking your brain and reading your list? And next year... Next year, we're gonna we're gonna do two parts. We're gonna grade twenty twenty four first, line by line, and then we'll do twenty five. Oh. But we're not, but we're not gonna do two thousand three. So don't worry about it. <laughs> well, I will look forward to that. And uh, thanks so much. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and I I look forward to getting a hundred on right. my <laughs> predictions in twenty twenty four. We take thank that, you Mateo. so much, Martha. Right. Okay. Thanks, Martha. See you next time. Martha and the machine. Martha and the machine. Martha versus the machine. Martha built the machine. She is the machine. (laughs) You know, we were just talking about what's what's our podcast about? And the truth is, is that our podcast has enabled us to meet so many really remarkable people and wonderfully nice people. And Martha's one of them. A a remarkable thing to do that she cares about the industry enough to take the time every year to think about, what do I expect next year? And to share it. And to share it, not to hold it close to her chest and, and, and only for her, but rather to share it with everybody. And so we thank her a lot for doing that. Tons. We do. We do. And, uh, I, we thank her so much for coming on here at the holiday season to start all of our years off with a list. And we look forward to next year when we get to talk to her again. Totally. And next year there will be grading. So stay tuned. Oh, and yeah. and we thank you. Speaking of all the nice people who listen to us, there's you. There That's is right. You. you. There's you. We're talking to you. We do this all for you. Yeah. So, uh, you. so with that in mind, we'll say what we always say. Goodbye, everybody. 